Good evening, everybody, and welcome to tonight's uh, program of Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters around the fruited plains. This is your host, George N2APB, along with co-host Joe N2CX, and together on a fairly regular schedule, at least we're getting back to a regular schedule, uh, we bring you different uh, technical topics that hopefully are uh, interesting to you, um, um, help fill a bit of a technical void as far as discussion types of things on a regular basis that we might have in our community, and uh, frankly, just things that uh, Joe and I kind of talk like uh, like talking about. Um, as I say just about every uh, at every episode, this is a very cool episode. It's been a while in coming, and I apologize for the uh, the scheduling conflicts that uh, the last time slot a couple of weeks ago. Um, but uh, this week uh, shaped up pretty well. We uh, we're talking this time about shortwave listening, and as the image at the top of the whiteboard indicates, it's a fireside chat. Which means it's meant to be kind of informal and uh, not uh, not overly uh, uh, in depth or mathematical in nature. Or we don't sell, we don't try to sell things. We just tell of our experiences. And the thing that makes this program tonight particularly exciting for me is that Joe and I regularly deal with uh, shortwave radio or people who who uh, enjoy the shortwave. Uh, uh, listening aspects of our hobby, and uh, I, I very much so, by the way. And just about everything on the on the on the whiteboard this time is uh, special in a certain way. Either that uh, I've tried it, or Joe's tried it, or we have, uh, um, or I have a, a radio here that's just like this. Or there's little tidbits here, some phenomenal resources. We're going to go through some of those, and. Um, uh, we think that you're going to enjoy it. It's something, shortwave radio is something, Joe, I think that most people, don't you think, have uh, have uh, perhaps gotten into first. And um, maybe even before keying down that transmitter on the brand new ham rig, kind of listened to the... Uh, Listened to the bands a little bit outside the ham bands and heard some stations there and had some fun kind of trying to identify that. Uh, what were your early days in, in shortwave radio listening, uh, Joe? Did you what kind of a radio did you have back then? And and uh, was was that your first foray onto the air or listening to the air? Actually, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's interesting to reminisce. Um, for my eighth grade graduation present, my parents gave me a uh, Heathkit AR3 receiver kit. Um, I'd never built much in the way of electronics. I'd dabbled, but really hadn't put much together. But I got that kit for my graduation from eighth grade, and I loved it. Put a wire up on the roof, and uh, <clears throat> while I was just putting the, the wire up, actually before I had the radio, it was it was in the mail, I got my first TVI complaint. My neighbors thought that I was interfering with their TV set. And I told them, no, I don't even have a receiver yet. But once I got the darn receiver, I put it on the air. It, it tuned the broadcast band, and um, three to... Er, I guess it was 3 to 30 megahertz. A lot of fun. I listened to all the shortwave stuff, uh, Radio Moscow, BBC, and uh, all the the various countries I could get. Amassed a whole bunch of uh, QSL cards. I just loved doing that. And then eventually um, I... I uh, uh, knuckled down and studied and got my license, but um, I still dabble with the shortwave listening now and again. Um, talk about uh, the receiver I have a little bit later. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I know the I know the feeling of getting that first radio back when mine was a Star Roamer, the, the um, Night Kit Star Roamer, and it was a kit. 
that uh, I put together with the help of my dad back then. Oh, gosh, they had to be in the uh, oh mid-60s, early 60s for me. And um, to this day, I can still smell the um the uh, the characteristic smell of the radio back then I don't know maybe it was just maybe it turned out to be just a a normal new radio smell or or something the warm smell of the tubes glowing in the background there weren't too many tubes in the Star Rover but nonetheless um it was it was the first uh, thing we also had a little I mean in contrast in those days the the transistor radio had just come out and uh, my parents had this thing called a Mitsubishi seven transistor 10 transistor radio whatever oh gosh it's 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 hard to describe the size maybe uh today's today's standards it seems pretty big but in contrast this uh the star roamer was just like amazing and i think that i think that the um uh the amazement that people have when we tell when we hems tell them um about how we listen to and talk to people all around the world and oh you mean like Arizona and yeah Arizona and and maybe even um uh you know farther away Africa South Africa or Japan and whatnot so second only to the talking part is the appreciation that people have you actually listen to radio Moscow you can do that or listen to Chinese uh stations as they play their music is a little bit of a favorite thing of mine um and it's, it's it's still amazing to this day because in this age of internet, we've talked about this before here on Chat with the Designers, in this age of internet, some of the mystique is gone as far as communications ability. You know, being able to talk with somebody anywhere around the world, a lot, a lot different than it, it was back, um, you know, before the internet, you know, pre, you know, 95 or so. Um, people still had that uh, that amazement, but now you know, with, you can text to somebody um, in a foreign country if you, if you really wanted to, and without even thinking twice about it, anywhere around the world. So the mystique of radio is kind of worn off a little bit, but I think for us, those who are listening here, um, really understand and, and can appreciate the the value that radio brings. And shortwave listening really brought it home first for many of us. And and that um, that zenith, by the way, that's depicted the zenith dial that's pictured at the top of our whiteboard this time. That is um, that's currently in my living room, and I listen to it almost every night during baseball season. I just love listening to baseball games on it, and um, um, I also listen to with the, with an appropriate intent. I listen to the other shortwave bands on there too, indicated uh, in the red the red dial um, in there as well. Uh, so you can see it's not just an AM, um, a low band AM um, BCB, but it's uh, it's shortwave. And that was the same radio as uh, my grandfather. My grandmom and grandfather had, when I was growing up, and I used to go over to their house, and we'd be listening to different radio programs in there. So it has a little bit of significance for me. And that that's the way it is for a lot of my particular radios and such around that I collect and, and get working again and have in a shack. Everything has a very specific purpose or a meaning and uh that that's why this program tonight was, was kind of special so tonight is the uh, as the title indicates this is going to be a you know casual discussion of the radio sport of shortwave listening you know what kind of radios they have where what the frequencies are what where the stations are um an approach to swling you know and some techniques that we follow um in order to do it and uh you know when i did when joe and i started constructing this this uh 
assembly of, of topics and, and summaries and so on that we can stick into an hour's worth of discussion here, there is an amazing amount of material out there um, that we hams and radio aficionados in general have come to um, use and appreciate. And I, I think that most everybody uh, here in the show tonight is going to be able to identify with one thing or another about uh, uh, the topic tonight. And I guess we offer, you know, please speak up and, and toss in your, your observations along the way and what, what radio you had when you started off and what you found um, useful and uh, as far as you know how you went about listening to the bands. So, uh, Joe, why don't you start us off a little bit, if you could, and, uh, you know, we put a, um, a background or a, uh, <clears throat> the, the starting point for shortwave radio, what it is and so on, but just give us maybe a little bit of an, some insight from you as far as your perspective on being it for so very, very many years, radio that is. I thought you were talking about my age. Shucks. Yes, it is. It is absolutely fascinating. Um, listen to any number of things. Oh, the really neat thing about shortwave, of course, as you as you pointed out, is that um, it is it can be long range communication. Uh, there's great um, history involved with amateur radio. Um, uh, captured first um, in print, I guess, in uh, the book 200 Meters and Down, which was about the early days of uh, shortwave. Um, the commercial folks used a long wave because it had uh, stable propagation conditions. Uh, the bigger the antenna and the more power you had, the, the farther you could transmit. But uh, the hams dabbled uh, 200 meters and down. It's basically above the broadcast band, these short waves, where they found that, uh, indeed, when conditions were just right, even uh, relatively low power uh, could go long, long distances. Uh, and, of course, it... it uh, once it became commercialized and, and the government got in there and, and business interests, uh, things were um, skinny down a bit for the hams. We still do have a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, selection of, of ham bands left, and there's still plenty of uh, AM broadcasting uh, on shortwave that you can hear. Beauty of it is uh, with with the long wave with the broadcast band stuff, particularly during the day, it's just ground wave. It's very local. It's out to maybe 50 or 60 miles. And FM broadcast too is is line of sight. That's relatively short range, but short wave uh, bounces its signals off the ionosphere, so that uh, if you pick the right frequency, uh, the sunspots are are right and everything's aligned properly, uh, a signal can go around the world. Uh, so it's it's a relatively simple way of doing it. Um, as opposed to uh, all the infrastructure that uh, telephones and uh, and of course the internet uh, take uh, many there's still lots of uh, poorer countries who that is their main means of communication they have short waves so that they can uh, communicate with their uh, with their uh, uh, citizens and uh, provide entertainment for them um, and the hams were in on on day one with uh, with short wave. Yeah, propagation really is a lot of some of the thrill. And as a kid, not really understanding the, the basics of, of radio prop, um, it, it was a mystery as to why the world seemed to open up at night. And uh, and stations from all over the, uh, the the U.S. and the world could be heard a lot a lot easier during the evenings. That's why we put that that propagation basics uh, section. I forgot where I got that. I normally like to credit everywhere I get. This information because it's so good, a lot of so much good information, especially about shortwave listening. You would not imagine, and you would not believe, 
the amount of uh, great references uh, on the internet for all this stuff. All you got to do is, you know, do some searching, of course. So we picked the, the best things as far as uh, uh, the topic flow. And Propagation Basics um, is, is a nice little Q&A type of uh, approach as far as why do AM signals coming from a distance seem stronger at night. So take a look at that and apply some of the, the common sense that we as hams have, uh, and it all kind of comes together there. So... Um, it's funny. I mean, some of the shortwave references, Joe, indicate a, uh, a are addressed to complete novices as far as like what are the numbers and the frequencies that are involved and why talk in kilohertz versus megahertz and so on. So I obviously skipped a lot of that stuff because we have have a good working knowledge of of some of those aspects. But um, these beginner pages and information packets and books and so on really assume starting from a ground zero standpoint so it's easy to kind of uh, uh, pass quickly through the intros and get to the meat of the materials um, before we get down to radios what I what I wanted to do is to go through some of the current radios today in case you wanted to kind of get one and do as I do and I, Joe I'm not sure how you I think you just play with your KX3 all the time which is general coverage too right isn't it Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes, it is. And uh, it's great for that. Oh, perfect. So, yeah, that that's really a handy thing to have in a, in a radio these days. Kind of gone are the days when ham, um, ham rigs, at least professional or uh, um, commercial ones, uh, are restricted only to the ham bands. I mean, that was a bit of an artifact of the filtering that was better or easier to achieve only for the ham, the intended use of the radio, the ham use, and thus not needing to worry about appropriate filtering at the IF and elsewhere for um, the entire spectrum, 1 to 30 megahertz. But today, um, it's a relatively standard item that most ham rigs even are able to handle the, the full. So if you have a if you have a ham rig, I mean, you don't have to worry about going out and getting a shortwave radio. Of course, you've got your shortwave receiver from 0 to 30 megahertz built into your, uh, into your ham rig, so that, that's kind of a good thing. But before we get into some of the specific radios that are around, and I've got some good tidbits of info on these things here, does anybody have any uh, kind of general observations like we're talking about? What did you do, or what were you doing back in the early days when um, first coming into the radio sport uh, area, and did you encounter shortwave radio? What were the kinds of radios that, that, that you dealt with? Uh, anybody want to toss in some observations on that? Okay, Rick, I saw your yours, and then and then we'll do Carl. So, Rick, go ahead. Well, as you were talking, I started to, to think back. Uh, I'm over 70 years old now. So when I was a, a high school or middle school student, uh, this was in the late 50s. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things I think that really built up uh, SWLing at that point was that most families in the late 40s, uh, there became a competition between various manufacturers of uh, radio gear for the home. And uh, what I ended up with was, in most places, was a radio that was the size of a dresser. It was uh, perhaps uh, four feet high and two feet wide, uh, elaborate woodwork on the outside of it. And the reason it was so big is that buried in the bottom of it was a 10 or a 12-inch speaker to give you real high five for your AM. Uh, and then as the competition heated up, people added other bands. And so when uh, the one that got me started was uh, uh, had three shortwave bands uh, on it. And uh, the other thing they did to, to jazz it up was to put the names of countries up on the dial glass. You would have a, a string-driven uh, pointer that would go back and forth horizontally over, over the frequency uh, indicator. 
And uh, so there would be words that would say London and Paris and Moscow and Beijing or whatever. And I'm sure it had little or no connection with whatever frequency you were on. It was just there to kind of show you the great mystique of uh, short wave. And that was enough to get lots of people, myself included, uh, <laughs> going. Oh, you're absolutely right. In fact, that's the same thing on the uh, um, on my night kit. I mean, just the you know they actually put Germany on there. I mean, I can, I can dial that frequency and actually hear Germany. Of course, we could we could hear every other country as well. But um, you're right, and um, I, I still have some of those big. I don't think it's four foot tall. Well, it might be four foot tall. I mean, it's a standard, uh, what's now standard is, is very ornate, elaborate, deep, rich walnut, uh, uh, or, or dark mahogany types of cabinetry and getting, and uh, getting those things and restoring them as part of the fun, especially that 10 inch speaker there. That's, uh, that's, uh, uh, delivers quite a sound. Uh, Carl, you had something. Yeah, George and everybody. Um, yeah, I kind of got started out in the mid fifties, uh, was looking for a radio, uh, with paper route money that I was putting aside, um, we had a small electronic shop in town that did some ham radio stuff, and I wasn't really in it. Really didn't know much about ham radio at that point, but I wanted a receiver, so I ended up with a old Helicrafters S38D. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to listening to the short wave bands. I used to do that in the evening a bit. Um, then got into the ham radio bit, and my father did, and. And then ended up with a, uh, a Hammerland HQ129X, which is which was so far above the S38 that that, that was kind of fun to uh, listen to uh, the different countries with, especially uh, in the evenings. But uh, I'll admit, after kind of, you know a few years of that, I've basically got away from it. I really haven't done any shortwave listening in a long, long time. Uh, I mean, the, the the basic rig here is uh, purely ham band only, so. Uh, uh, I can't use it for doing that, but uh, uh, maybe uh, it's time to get back into doing some of this. Oh, I know that. Uh, I know that. I, I with, with the kind of background that you just said that you had there, I think it, it would be a really enjoyable thing. And um, I'll mention it later on. But in addition to some, you know, some um, radios that you can get at ham swap meets and, and things, there was also, and I forgot to feature it here. Doggone it! There was. Um, a design from KD1JV, Steve Weber. He built uh, a tabletop nor'easter. Was that right, Joe? Yeah, he had a nor'easter first, and then later on the tabletop nor'easter. There you go. It was a simple little board with a um, all-in-one mixer demodulator chip. Um, I'll, I'll get a post. Uh, I'm not sure. I'll have to be careful about that. I'm not sure. But anyways, that's a that's a cool little design. I've got the uh, parts for it here in a super-duper cigar box that I was going to mount it in, and I've always intended on building it and putting it by my easy chair upstairs. But uh, having something that you can kind of turn to and, and a lot of different solutions for, for shortwave radios. Um, speaking of which, I did a quick um, survey on the internet and came up with um, in, the, in the next section there some shortwave radios that are um, it's a good cross section I think and uh, you might want to consider it we're not going to go through every one given the time but in general there's some pretty nifty um, good performing radios from Grundig uh, let me dial down here a little Sony and CC Crane check out the reviews you know the usual thing we're not uh, pushing anything here but the the range the, the 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 range can go anywhere from in this case here i think uh, there's one down there that is uh Oh yeah, there's the the Texan. I'm maybe not pronouncing it right that, but the PL380. Can you believe it? Is forty dollars. So um, I think that was on eBay. I don't know where to get it. 
uh, elsewhere at this point, but uh, that seems to be all over Amazon. the place. Amazon? Yeah, I had one. Oh, okay. Did you you said you had one and did it perform okay? Unfortunately, it was um, it worked for about ten minutes and died, so I sent it back and then I got the Sony seventy six hundred. Oh, okay, good. That's that's why they look so darn familiar, I think, because you brought the text into the to a NJQRP meeting once, didn't you, Joe? No, I didn't. I think it, it might have been Ted brought one, uh, and that was what uh, convinced me to try to buy one. And I after the uh, infant mortality, I decided to spend a few bucks more and get something better. Okay. Well, anyway, you can look down the features of these things, and um, they're pretty impressive, especially for the digital control ones. I mean, it's really easy to dial in, actually, you know, punch in a frequency and go to a very specific uh, frequency, and then you can hit a scan button or an incremental up or down button. And, um, you know, performance is good enough. Uh, you don't have to have the kill uh, the most killer performance specifications on some of these things in order to receive the uh, the different stations uh, things you probably want to think about more than than uh, performances uh, and foremost maybe cost but um, portability what kind of batteries does it use um, what kind of an antenna connections does it have on because normally you know just the the short whip antenna gets you just so far and if you really wanted to have some more uh, uh, pull in some greater uh, signal you would have a uh, an external wire for a while i had a, a long a quote a quote unquote long wire at about 30 feet it uh, went from, with a little alligator clip on it there by my uh, easy chair and it went up around uh, one windowsill then to the side of the of the living room around another windowsill and it provided some really nice um nice reception better than just the whip and certainly good enough for listening uh to different radio stations as i'm sort of brain dead watching tv so um it's always kind of a fun to to explore in that particular manner um so those thir first three radios the um the grundig the cc crane the texan and the sony are all somewhat somewhat the same uh, we, I never saw one. The next one here is the Com Radio CR1. Now this is a little bit more expensive, like $600, but it comes really highly recommended by one of the uh, um, SWL type of sites. And uh, I thought I'd toss it in there because it's a software-defined radio. And I think somewhere in there it says it doesn't require any stinking computer. <laughs> Sound familiar? So um, it's it's um, it, on the surface because if it's an SWR, it seems like you could easily get uh, performance upgrades by downloading software to it and different capabilities and, and whatever. But it's a nice-looking radio. And um, if you're really into shortwave listening, that would be uh, that might be something you'd like to consider. I haven't heard of anybody using that one um has anybody else heard about that nah i guess not um the next one there on the list is cool for a different reason and the Tentec rx320 and they mentioned the d now the d offers something a bit above as compared to the, the bear rx320 but the bottom you know the the, the common point here is that the, from Tentec, it's a um um, it's, it's, a, it's a radio that, uh, it's a short wave of zero to 30 or one to 30 megahertz. Uh, actually it goes from the low end is probably down in the kilohertz. I just forgot the low end. kilohertz. hundred kilohertz. Right. So it's from hundred kilohertz up to 30 megahertz. And, um, all you have to do is put an RS-232 port on the back of it to your PC and one of a number of different, uh, uh, PC front panels, if you will, are able to control that. And I've got one sitting here, and it is one of the niftiest things that uh, I've had over the years. And uh, the Model D 
the 320D offers DRM. It um, it offers a uh, an IF output, I think, that and and some other capabilities that allow it to decode Dream D R E A M for some uh, that's digital radio Mondial Mondial. Um, and it's a very popular item. I couldn't find it for sale anywhere um, on the internet, but um, I'm sure if you watch e- eBay or some, you know, you know, you put out a search for it specifically, you'd find it. But that's a really nice thing if you want to be running it with your PC. And uh, I can attest to the Bear 320 as being a pretty nice, uh, nice radio. That was my first electronic shortwave radio that was kind of of, of the, uh, I call it the SDR class, although it wasn't SDR, but still it used a PC uh, for for controlling it. All sorts of memories, and you could load up the, the memories with your favorite uh, uh, call signs, or you know the radio program call signs, or countries and whatnot. But uh, does anybody else have an RX three twenty? Yeah, I do, and it's for sale. <laughs> it's for sale. Okay, good. So there you go. Is it a D? No, it's an RX three twenty. The memories, of course, are in are in software, and it's up to the software provider to provide the memories. The radio itself has no memories inside it. Right, and I think that's why somewhere it says in a virtually unlimited number of memories, um, mainly because it's just up to the software. You could even write your own interface to it. In fact, that one time, oh, it had to be about 10, 15 years ago, I had it in my mind to build a little handheld uh, display device controller for that radio. And uh, the idea was to have a display and a tuner dial and a bunch of push buttons for memories and, and such that talked to the radio via RS-232. So using the protocol that they do for um, CAT control, computer automated test, uh, whatever CAT stands for, um, that would be the method by which the you know the external controller would connect to it. So that's a pretty neat thing, and uh, you might want to contact uh, Pete if you're interested in in uh, in getting one for yourself. The last item I have here, I have pictured anyways, is um, a vintage shortwave uh, or SWL radio, the Zenith Transio- Transoceanic. And I might have mentioned this. Um, that's mine. Um, I got that thing um, about uh, uh, three, four weeks ago, Joe, at a local ham fest. Yep, Gloucester County Ampest. <laughs> that was the deal of the day. It sure was. Actually, I, I lied a little bit. That's not mine, not my specific one. Um, mine is much cleaner and much better shaped than that one even. So it's uh, it was a really, really good deal, and it receives quite nicely. We listened to it one time at the New Jersey QRP meeting, and uh, uh, truth be told, that's that's the radio I listen to at the ball games during the summer when I'm down here in a shack. If I'm upstairs sipping on some fruit juice, um, I listen to that uh, Zenith that I had pictured at the top. But this, this one here is kind of a nice one, and indicative of the kind of shortwave uh, radios that were or that are were around then that the kind of still are from some collector enthusiasts and and restorers and and and, and such. Um, Joe, there's some. Can you elaborate? I could not find this, and I was really looking to find. Um, I have a section here on internet radio, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But as a lead into that, there's a radio stations. Uh, what do you call them? Remote, remotely controlled radio stations that you can dial in to a given frequency and control the radio on the far end. And oftentimes, you can get many listeners to, you know, because it's an SDR kind of thing. That's an alternative. If I could find some of the um, some of the URLs, the internet addresses for that, I was going to put that in. But can you can you refresh us on on those if if I'm uh, ringing your bell? Yeah, you're ringing my bell, and I'm drawing a blank. Um, perhaps uh, Ray ULR might have a link or two. Uh, are you the one who who gave me a link at the last club meeting, Ray? 
Uh, yeah, Joe, I think so. Um, one was uh, W4AX.com, but lately uh, they seem to have been down for the count. I don't know whether the uh, uh, receiver is no longer functioning or uh, whether there's another issue involved. Uh, I just dialed it up, and uh, it's still not kind of coming up with a connection. So I have a feeling that uh, there's an issue there. Uh, there is a famous one over in Europe, uh, and I think um, all you have to do is go to Web uh, SDR or Google that, and you'll probably find uh, quite a few of them. Uh, I used to listen to this one that was in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, it's kind of interesting to copy uh, W1AW from across the pond on 80 meters, but boy, you could sure do it. Um, so uh, they're out there, and uh, that's what I use lately. I, I do have a... Uh, uh, a small uh, battery-powered shortwave uh, receiver, uh, but don't use it that much. I'm as likely to use the computer as anything else. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, the web SDR is the thing. Um, and, in fact, there's also an app uh, for the Apple, uh, whose name I forget, but it's got SDR in there, that you can access at least some of the sites. Uh, I have an Android tablet, and uh, many of the sites require Java, so that doesn't work with them. The thing called GISDR. It's an app available for the Android tablets. You can listen to um, uh, a, at least one shortwave station or a receiver on. However, I just tried to pull it up and it says the server's down. But they're out there. The thing you want to search for when you go on the web is Web SDR, and there are a number of sites out there. All right, guys. Thanks. I appreciate that. I should have put up a flag beforehand, and I could have gotten onto the page. Um, I would have. I'm, I'm hoping. Maybe you know how you can take a um, a YouTube uh, video, for example, and embed that code into your website, so, and then you can that allows you to play the uh, YouTube video as if it were there on your website. Some kind of an iframe technology. And I was wondering, and as I was again driving home, if we had that thing, if we could have implanted that for you know the GISDR or something. Uh, maybe the ne the radio Nether the Netherlands ba um, location that Ray recalled. We could put that in the page, but that might be kind of cool. Let me look into that and. Uh, That'd be kind of a handy thing. The uh, the next thing here is uh, that titled shortwave radio index. I found this. This was incredible. Um, and and I actually I, I put the list sideways so it wouldn't. The list is so long. There's maybe two or three of these um, length of lists. It quotes as um, all of the radio, all the shortwave radios that were ever made, kind of thing. And you click on any of those. If I'm tip my head and look at it, uh, Grundig, ICOM, IZT Labs, Cato, Kuchibo, um, whatever the radio is, you get some information about it. So if you're looking for something or hear something, or maybe if you're at the uh, at a ham fest this fall and you come across a radio and bring your tablet along and do a search on it, you can find out some of its capabilities just right there. But that's a really handy uh, reference, which is why we included it there. George, one other thing you didn't mention, maybe you're going to later. Uh, how about monitoring times as a reference? Oh, you know, I did forget. Monitoring times um, is a great reference, and it's actually going out of, um, that's the one going out of print, isn't it? Yes, I think it is. Yeah, Pete? Yeah, I was just going to agree that that's that end, end of the year is the last edition. Yeah, I think, I, I forgot if it was here that I mentioned it or elsewhere, but I mentioned that it was a great deal. They, if you go to the Monitoring Times website, they have a really good deal for back issues, and um, I got all of the years. Uh, I purchased all of the, the PDFs of all of the previous years um, and then signed up to receive the um, 
the ones until the end of this year. But um, it's great material and they're great articles. I mean, all of the radio listings, you know, the frequency listings and such are probably no good because they're outdated. Um, but there are some really good articles in there about, you know, receiving antennas and mag loops and what's the best SWL receiver and times of the day and techniques and all that sort of stuff. And it's going by the wayside. There are other ones. Poptronics, I think, is staying around, but it doesn't exclusively cover shortwave radio listening. So that's something that I will... I've taken some notes here i'll definitely put that on the on the web page too so you listeners would probably uh if you're interested in shortwave at all would really find some value in that one good good uh good catch joe yeah in fact um well really neither here nor there but uh, uh you and i know at least two of the guys who uh, contribute articles there skip airy uh does at times and i believe um Rich, uh, I can't remember. Rich um, K7SZ does, and they're both guys well known in the ham community. They do articles now and again for uh, for monitoring times as well. Oh yeah, that's right. I haven't heard from Skip in a while. Um, and used to be a regular here in the in the Q in the New Jersey QRP area. And uh, Rich Arland uh, K7SZ is. Uh, is uh, has been a contributor to a lot of different magazines and so on. Look at the next section uh, concerning internet shortwave radios. I think this this was a very cool thing. Uh, I came across it in I'm, I'm always behind the times, but I came across this uh, maybe two or three years ago, and um, I got it for a friend, and we had a ball exploring that. It was a birthday present for him, and I got him the squeeze box from Logitech down there. Uh, he, and we just had a, just a wonderful time. And what it is, is an internet, uh, well, it, it's a, uh, what's the best way to describe it, Joe? It's a, it's um, probably a standalone Linux, a uh, little Linux board, a la Raspberry, but not a Raspberry, that has an internet, um, an Ethernet connection. And oftentimes now they are Wi-Fi. Um, and it has uh, pre-programmed URLs that are known for transmitting, uh, known to be transmitting on the internet at those particular URLs, um, shortwave uh, material. So, I mean, if you dial in, you can do the same thing with your computer, of course. You just go to that particular address. But the cool part about these little boxes is that you just dial it up. You, you dial it up like a, like a, it looks like a radio and it's standalone. You don't need no stinking computer kind of thing. And and uh, there's extra little features along the way that make it really, really nice. And some of them, I think the squeeze box is this one that connects to your home router for the incoming. And then it retransmits Wi-Fi such that you can have other Wi-Fi receivers around the house that can get the uh, the program material. And, of course, everything from talk radio to music to different genres and uh, it's all di- uh, digital music. Um, it, it's really, really kind of a nice thing. It's uh, it's it's in addition to it's superfluous, uh, I guess, if you have and use a computer. But um, it, this is kind of nice because it's portable and it can go where you want it to go in, in the storage capabilities. Um, I think the squeeze box, uh, it's more expensive. It's about 100 bucks more expensive, but it has additional features and it has nicer reviews than the CC radio. But CC radio, um, Crane radio has uh, some pretty cool stuff sometimes if you'd like to look through those catalogs. Um, has anybody had experience other than, you know, like what I described uh, with uh, Internet radio in general? Yes, George, I have. Oh, okay, Armand, do you, uh, is it something you dial to on your computer or a separate radio box like these? 
It's a uh, it's a separate radio box, and uh, uh, I built a separate power supply for it so that I could run it off an old drill battery and drag it around the house with me. And it really works uh, very well. The only caveat I would have to uh, put out there for people is that uh, the one I have, you can dial up uh, any number of podcasts. I haven't tried this one because <laughs> I usually listen to this one right away, but other podcasts I've listened to it, and it does not. The one I have is an old crane, not crane, excuse me, a Grace is the uh, manufacturer, and it does not have a pause button so you're listening to a, to a podcast and it's it's kind of a pain because you can't pause the thing it uh, just keeps right on going so if anybody's looking to get one of these make sure that you've got that function because uh, it's aggravating when you, uh, when you when you can't pause podcasts ah great point and you're right um i guess if you had a pause Unless the station you're listening to, you know, the, the URL, the internet location, has that function built in uh, for flow control, you'd have to have a buffer in the radio that would allow you to store so much of uh, material while you had it on pause, I would think. So um, it, it's kind of interesting. I had a project once. I still have the parts, like so many of my projects. I never really got around to completing it. But I bought a little, um, I think it was... It was from one of the hobbyist places, a little, turned out to be a, like a, a Linux board. This is pre-Raspberry time, but it was, um, if I keep talking long enough, I will remember it. But it was a small board, had an MP3 decoder um, and, and some other capabilities, but also an Ethernet interface. So what was my intention was to build one of these things for like $40 at most and, uh, you know, just piecemeal all the parts together and use some of the libraries and um, uh, examples that they had in their rest, in their um, in their uh, application note things. things. Never got around to it, but it was pretty cool. Chris, did you try that too? Yeah, I just want to throw in, I wasn't sure if I was making it in here. Um, I did create a Raspberry Pi uh, Arduino streaming Wi-Fi radio with dial. Uh, dial controls the frequency and displays the information, um, plus some of the, um, the, the uh, streaming information. Uh, great fun, great little project. Um, I haven't really done much with it lately, but uh, it's something kind of fun to do with Raspberry and, and the Arduino uh, combination. I also uh, created a streaming audio device at home that I could feed any of the audio, you know, my own music or whatever, and, and stream it to the Wi-Fi if I wanted to. So uh, it could operate either hardware or Wi-Fi. It was a great little project. That is awesome. And did you follow any diagram, any uh, um, project example for that, or did you just sort of kind of piecemeal it together on your own? Well, it was a. It, this one turned out to be a hybrid. The original project was done on a router that was modified to run Linux, some sort of a Linux uh, Unix. Well, I guess it was Linux. Um, uh, kernel on it and then uh, interface to an Android or excuse me interfa interface to Arduino and then I, I just removed that because the router stuff was a little bit inefficient and wasn't working as well and uh, replaced that with the Raspberry Pi um, I do have the information and uh, so it's kind of a hybrid change it, it's not totally my original design but after everything is said and done it's, it's pretty much worked into my own my own work 
I really like that. If you um, uh, l- let's talk about this after afterwards, and um, in a nutshell, I would love to um, if if you don't already have it, uh, kind of on a website, or if you if you indeed want to allow that, I'd love to have have that uh, on the Chat with Designer website and um, have a kind of a featured project there that somebody might want to replicate. And I would be one of those somebodies along the way, but I think it's just pretty cool to kind of play around in that manner. Outstanding, good for you. Okay. Um, while I'm thinking about it, uh, Joe, you might want to have some comment on this. I saw, um, I saw, and I might have put it in here. I can't recall. I with the um, the government furloughs, the FCC apparently is not monitoring um, the shortwave frequencies as they had been in the past. So a lot of pirate radio stations have been showing up over the last couple of weeks. And if you did a search on that, um, that you know, pirate radio stations or something, you'd probably be able to get some uh, listening, uh, some podcast or a recording uh, of that. Have you heard of that, Joe? And does that make sense to you? Yeah, you did include the material there. Yeah, at times I have uh, I've listened to some pirates when I lived up in uh, Rochester, uh, in the Rochester area, um, in another lifetime. <clears throat> there was one in um, Fairport, New York, which was where I lived, and um, I'm told that I knew who the broadcaster was, but he wouldn't admit it to any but uh, his inside circle. He used to play kind of alternative music stuff and and uh, just ramble incessantly. So it's kind of neat to listen though. It's uh, it's off the wall. Yeah, off the off the wall, off the rocker sometimes too. That's good. Moving right along here, Joe, I'm going to turn this over to you for the antennas for shortwave listening. Um, we put together a section here with a standard long wire and a multiband long wire and a um, an active loop, um, a la the Pixel Technologies. Joe, you know that I have that one. And then um, then something else that I built. I built this one for Nancy NJ8B. Uh, um, and um, the K1RST loop, and it worked phenomenally well for such a little simple thing. Um, so those four antennas maybe you could expound on, and then also, if you wanted to mention it, like I have a little light in them that says, wow, you, sh- uh, you want shortwave antenna design examples, take a look at these. And I actually put that long list from DX Zone down at the very bottom of the whiteboard. Far too many to talk about, but maybe just kind of comment on a couple of them because there's every sort, all sorts of homebrew antennas. My goodness, I, I, I was drooling as I was going through those. There's not enough time in the year to to play around with some of those antennas, but I, I figured that you'd have some have a few words to say about this uh, section, Joe. Indeed, uh, and antennas are a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, what many of us start out with is um, what they call a long wire here, which is just a random length of wire. Um, it's the simplest shortwave antenna, just, um, just a piece of wire, some sort of ground. gives you a little more capture area than um, a whip on a radio. Uh, can be tuned or untuned. Um, if you get sophisticated and tune it, it uh, it'll give you a bit more sensitivity. Many of the shortwave uh, broadcast stations, anyway, are strong enough that you don't need a monstrous uh, monstrous antenna. But it does help to have a uh, some sort of antenna that's outside the house, so that you uh, you don't pick up too much of the electrical noise from inside the house. Um, I guess all of us have done that. Um, if you want to get a little more, and that's on tune, or you can add a tuner if you want. Most don't. If you want to get a little more sophisticated. There's um, a little piece here on the uh, N4UJW uh, multiband long wire antenna, which really is, uh, it has individual elements on it. It's a monopole antenna, uh, a Marconi, which has uh, elements for wire elements for several of the um, uh, shortwave segments. 
Um, in fact, he uh, he doesn't even have a ground on it. Uh, yeah, he does have a ground on it. Um, it has um, one wire that's tuned to about 4 megahertz, the top end of the 80-meter handband. Another one tuned to um, um, five about 5.1 megahertz, a 60-meter um, broadcast band. Um, there's one tuned to 3.25 megahertz, which is the 90-meter band, and another one tuned to 5.9 megahertz, the 49-meter band. The point is that uh, this has individual resonant elements in uh, several different bands, four different bands, to give you a little better sensitivity uh, in those bands than just a random wire. And he uh, recommends putting it up outside and running coaxial cable. So this way you can uh, have the antenna out where it receives the signals best, is away from the noise in the house, and uh, gets you the uh, reception you want. Pretty good idea. There are similar things that have been done on handbands for multiband use. And, in fact, their military uses that, uh, something like that in uh, many applications. You can also um, put any of these or either of these antennas in an attic if you're in a uh, restricted community or if you don't have much of a backyard. If you get it up away from uh, the electrical appliances and the wiring in the house, an attic is better than nothing, but it still is uh, still not as good as anything outside. For shortwave, you can always always get away for, with the strong stations for an in-room antenna. Just uh, run whatever wire you have inside your room. The Sony, my Sony 7600, comes with, I think it's about a 15-foot wire on a spool, which works surprisingly well. Um, better than the whip on the uh, radio. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's not optimum, but um, it sure works well. I take it when I travel. Uh, it does not work inside hotel rooms. There's far too much electrical noise and uh, digital stuff and TV crap that uh, ruins reception. But go out in a parking lot in the car and throw the wire in a tree and uh, you hear all sorts of stuff. Now, there's also a, there are other antennas that are more sophisticated uh, technologically. One listed here is the Pixel Technologies Loop. It's a, um, a three-foot loop antenna, three feet across. Uh, it has uh, an amplifier inside of it, so it's an active antenna, which gives you some gain. That gives you uh, pretty good uh, sensitivity. Not as good as real long wire, but not, not at all bad. And the beauty is that uh, it's a balanced antenna, so that it tends to reject electrical noise, uh, which is very good. And it's directional. It has a figure eight pattern so that you can, you can uh, null out interference. If, uh, if you have interference from one particular direction, you can null that out, either locally generated uh, electrical noise or if there are uh, several stations interfering with uh, what you want to listen to, you can null them out by just rotating it. Not a bad antenna. George has one in his backyard with a rotor. Uh, it's about $400, a little rich for my blood, but uh, then uh, George is much more serious about it than I am. The uh, KL1ST magnetic loop is kind of neat. There's a picture of it in the on the whiteboard. It's a loop antenna that tunes uh, part of the HF band, 5 to 22 megahertz, um, with relatively uh, available uh, material, stuff you can e pretty easily find. Uh, it is a balanced loop antenna, so it has the uh, interference rejecting capabilities. And it, it also has the figure eight pattern, so it's used to, uh, to null out interference. Uh, beauty is that you can build it yourself, and uh, surprisingly, it works surprisingly well even inside a house. It's not intended for transmitting, reception only, but uh, it's not bad, and there is a link to, uh, to some details on constructing it. I've not seen the one that George had built for Nancy, but um, it's kind of a cute way for somebody who wants to get a little better performance than just a wire thrown up in the room to, uh, to get some reception. And uh, George mentioned, let me get down to the uh, the link of the 
the uh, the many antennas at the bottom of the uh, of the site. There are any number of uh, shortwave antenna design references and projects. There are a whole raft. I'm not going to go through them, but there's something to warm the cockles of anyone's heart from uh, uh, long wave to uh, AM broadcast through uh, short wave. All kinds of uh, neat ideas for things to do to make uh, some special purpose antennas uh, to meet your particular needs. I'm going to have to go through this and see if I can find a couple things that are particularly good. Good reference. It's always nice to have this sort of stuff handy. Uh, if you, even if you don't duplicate exactly what's in those lists, give you some ideas of uh, uh, what are good things to do and how to go about doing them. Uh, if you have a homebrewer's bet, as many of us do. Um, curious if anyone else on the list, while we're thinking of loop antennas, has anyone else used a loop antenna, a small magnetic loop or um, reception, shortwave reception, as, to, uh, as opposed to the um, transmitting and receiving as most hams do? I have. What did you think of it, Chris? Uh, how did it work for you? Well, let me tell you the situation here. I live in a community that the houses are pretty close together, not, not condo style, but pretty close, and there's a lot of plasma TVs here in the area. And with my inverted V up 45, uh, 45 feet up in the roof, I get a lot of plasma TV interference. So what I did was I have two active loop antennas outside. They're spaced probably about 30 feet apart and diagonally, so they're slightly offset. And I run it through a NFJ noise eliminator. And this made my pleasure of ham radio go up exponentially because now I'm able to actually do some, some serious receiving without having an S7 to S9 noise. It's back down to S4, S5 at the most. So it's really helped my, my ham radio activities here. That's very interesting. I have a similar situation here, and I've tried uh, something like the MFJ canceller with just um, simple wire antennas, and it didn't do much good. What sorts of loops are you using? I found a website many moons ago with a simple um, active loop antenna. It looks like it uses two transistors and some phasing or some some matching technique and they work pretty good they're pretty broad you don't need any tuning so it's kind of nice it, the frequency limitations probably about I wouldn't go anything higher than 18 megahertz but anything below that is fair game and it worked they work quite well and like I said with the MFJ noise eliminator with both two loops on them it really makes a difference I can nullify the uh, most of the pro problems and if not I could move one of the loop antennas away and and rephase the two signals and usually that does the trick. Very good. It's always good to talk to somebody who's who's gone through uh, some of the stuff and come up with good solutions. I may have to revisit uh, my situation and do something like that. Might do some good. Um, anyone else uh, use uh, receiving loops on the list? No. Okay. Well, I'm not surprised. Uh, uh, many of us. I used to have one. Uh, many of us have used a. Uh, uh, a loop of sorts, a tuned loop on the bro AM broadcast band. Um, I used to have one I bought years ago. It was about a foot in diameter, had a uh, tuning dial on it, tuned to broadcast band. What you did was you placed it in proximity to the uh, to the radio you used, and it coupled directly into the uh, the loop stick in the in the radio, giving you a lot better sensitivity. Uh, years ago, when I was doing a lot of camping, I used that so that I could hear far off stuff. I could hear um, at night. I could hear WCAU AM in the Philly area, so I could listen to the Phillies games. But uh, it was a good adjunct to a uh, simple receiver. Um, and there are a lot of things to be said for uh, small loop antennas for um, receiving, as well as uh, hams who use them for both transmitting and receiving. 
Um, I think that's been it on tennis. Uh, George, you might you might give us some uh, insight as to how well your pixel works. Yeah. Okay, Joe. Um, the the pixel. Uh, to be honest, I, I I the expectations were much higher than what really um, I experienced. Nonetheless, it's meant to be a very broadband gain antenna. Um, as a comparison, um, I was always flipping back and forth between my, um, I have a, a butternut vertical is my main um, HF antenna for, for ham use. And um, as you know, with, with any kind of a tuned antenna, I mean, it's very specifically tuned for a given frequency or, or band. And it's uh, it, it's okay um, for using for listening to shortwave bands other than the ham bands it's tuned for um, only because it it too in some areas is pretty broad um, and it can receive nicely on on adjacent bands uh, to the ham bands but there are some where the pixel technologies antenna performs nicely and the nice part about this is that uh, um, there there's no tuning required and ultimately that's 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 a very nice thing. You can flip all over the place and uh, on the on the bands and not worry about uh, necessarily tuning it. And I use it um, I use it with my R390, and I, I enjoy listening to shortwave with the R390 as well. And um, it's an added factor, safety factor, because you can't transmit into an active antenna. Otherwise, you fry the electronics, and it's always a concern with me that if I have it connected to my ham, if I were to use this for ham radio usage, I would, uh, I'd always have that as a concern, and it would cost about a hundred bucks to get the uh, amplifier replaced. And uh, so having it on a receiver only, such as the R390 or even, you know, even the old night kit uh, uh, Star Roamer, um, you would. Uh, you would have that safety factor. So I enjoy it. Um, as I said, though, I was, I was expecting more, but in reality set in, and it's uh, it turned out to be a good thing. I'm glad I got it. Now, this uh, K1 RST, I can't speak more highly of it since it's so simple. It's easy to – I built it one evening. I collected parts for it on one Saturday, and that uh, the tube you see going around there is um, – what do you call it? Uh, uh, it's the copper tubing for refrigerator water overflow or the water feed to a refrigerator freezer thing. So you can get a roll of that really inexpensively. Um, the the feeder the the, um, the feed loop there the black uh, coax is 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 black coax and it's easy to to whip up and uh, the the copper loop itself is continuous up to the very top where it is connected using a um, a common polyvericon uh, capacitor. That's the you know the plastic kind that are in old transistor radios that some of us have been using uh, in homebrew projects. Notably the Rainbow Tuner used one the uh, uh, the SQM, the signal quality meter kit that Joe and I did, uses uh, a polyvericon. So on mine, and I'll, I'll post pictures of mine side by side here, uh, shows how I connected it in. And a wooden dowel from t holds it up the middle. And then for the base, I had a piece of uh, headboard. So I, um, like heavy-duty walnut, you know, like uh, two inches thick. So I cut off a one-foot square version or, or piece of that, drilled a hole, and stuck the wooden dowel in it, and boom, that's it. So it's self-standing just like that. And anytime I want to listen to a given frequency, um, I put the radio to the frequency, and, I, of course, I just move the polyvericon cap up at the top until I get uh, the strongest signal reception. Then I can turn the thing. As Joe indicated, it's quite directional um, to either tune in the station that I want a little bit stronger or to null out adjacent interfer um, um, other interference on the same or nearby um, frequencies. So it's really nice. And there's a bunch of other kind of multi-loop receive antennas 
um, that you can build. And Joe, I, I think we'd have to do justice to JJ. I don't see him online here tonight. He's probably uh, sleeping or something because of uh, his, his busy schedule teaching at the college. Um, but he has, uh, what was the name of that active antenna? Um, I should put that on here too. Do you remember his uh, old time uh, regen active antenna? No, I've been racking my brain, uh, and I, I tried searching in some old uh, email archives. But it's a it's an active antenna, it's a loop antenna. But uh, its real beauty is that, as George mentioned, it's uh, yeah. I think uh, I think Pete, you're right. It's the Carbot loop. It um, it's regenerative. It has feedback in there so that you can really tune it up very sharply on just the station you want. So you get extra selectivity to uh, get rid of interference. I think you're right. So that's that's kind of a nice thing. He brought that to a club meeting once and demonstrated it, and, and it worked pretty well. Um, in the interest of time, let's go into the last section here, which is uh, frequencies and stations. Now, a lot of this is common sense, but I found this particular reference on the CC Crane site particularly nice and concise, all things considered. You can print this out on the chart there on the two pages and have it there by your radio or fold it up in um, wherever you keep the radio. And, um, you know, it goes by country and what the frequencies are. And it's just a, a really handy thing. If, if you know what time of the day works for what kind of frequencies, you know, the higher the frequencies, the more in the daytime, the daylight is probably a, a rule of thumb. Um, and uh, you, you can sort of tune in whatever your desires might be. You want to hear a little bit of Iranian radio that well, you know to look at uh, at this time of night, probably around uh, 7160 or 7320 kilohertz, and you'd hear something uh, probably coming from there. There are some really good, on. in fact, I think I have it listed here, some good online uh, um, interactive type of database for this. I thought I had it. Oh, gone. Well, it's probably here. Some. Oh, there it is. Finding stations on the air. It's in the next section, uh, the sport in SWO radio sport. Finding stations on the air. In fact, oh, yeah, that's. I, I copied the, uh, the header file. So what you do is you either put a frequency in, and you can see what uh, stations are on on the, that particular frequency. You could put a call sign in there uh, for a radio station, and you can see where its frequency is. So you kind of, whatever you have to go by, you can... Uh, um, you can use this little online database. And there's a lot of books. I'm looking at another one here, just a book. Again, Joe and I picked it up at uh, last HamFest called the, uh, from Sony. It's called The Wave Handbook, Shortwave Stations of the World. And what it is is massively small diagrams of time versus frequencies. And I have to wear my glasses in order to see. But just by looking at the, you know, the world time, whatever the UTC time is, I can go down a column, that column of time, and find by means of uh, the indication of where, what, what uh, bar, what uh, kind of like it's a bar chart kind of thing, a horizontal bar chart. So whatever bar is indicated there and for whatever kind of... Uh, uh, station, location, even uh, even by genre of class of, of radio uh, or transmissions. So talk radio or music or news, information, weather, um, things of that nature. And these things are these things abound. And all things considered, I mean, they really don't change a lot too much, at least the bigger stations. So if you get something that's within the last year, you should be good. And of course you can get these online. One of the beauties is having a little computer side by side. If you want to dial up, you know, you're tuning along and you hear something, dial up that frequency and you can find out what is on at that particular moment. And that's part of the sport um, of, of uh, shortwave listening. I mean, after you've got, uh, you know, after you just 
tuning around, you hear something, you call your wife over or significant other kids over something. Hey, look, here's here's Radio Uganda. Wow, ooh, 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 that's good. So after you get that out of your blood, a, a pretty interesting hobby um, or, or a pursuit is to see if you how many distinct radio stations call signs can you receive? Can you actually hear? And you keep a little bit of a log as far as when and what frequencies and, and so on. And maybe even some of the material, the content. Um, QSLing, or sure, I, I'm not sure the, the proper name, but there's a SWLing. Say again. SWLing, yeah. Oh, okay. So it's just SWLing. I thought that was shortwave listening, but SWL QSL. Oh, that's short for shortwave listening. Yeah, but I'm trying to I'm trying to mention it's the QSL aspects. It, I don't know if it's still done, but if you write to a station saying, "Hi, I heard your radio station." at this time on this frequency um, and as confirmation they sometimes can send you a card and people collect and post those cards as part of their you know that, that's that's their aspect of the uh, um, of, of the hobby so um, and then how many stations can you hear on the same frequency there's another aspect because there are multiple stations on the same frequency oftentimes they are uh, either different times of the uh, well over uh, non-overlapping geographic areas, I guess you might say. Um, and uh, if you can hear one and not the other, um, that that's kind of or hear them both at the same time and be able to differentiate between the two. That's that's kind of a fun thing. All sorts of weird things that we as hams and and radio type of people uh, can do. But um, that, that's that's like the next step after after you get your nifty radio and you tune around and, and show grandma the uh, the different stations you can receive. Um, make a little bit of a challenge for yourself and keep a log and a record of it. It can be fun. Um, does anybody ever done that? Does anybody do that um, anymore as far as uh, just trying to listen to a lot of different shortwave stations and identify them, maybe even write them and get a QSL card for them? Gosh, I remember I remember that that used to be done. I just don't know if it's done uh, uh, that much anymore. Okay. Um, yeah, just a couple, couple other items, if you don't mind, George. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, as far as QSLing goes, I had that uh, AR3 receiver, and I was listening to all sorts of stuff back in the 60s, as you mentioned, and uh, sending to uh, various stations to get the QSL cards from them. And uh, I didn't realize, but uh, my postman noticed that I was getting all these postcards from, as he called them, postcards from all over the world. Um, and he told some of my neighbors, uh, you know, and of course they were shaking their heads at this nutty kid. But anyway, a couple of years after that incident or after after I was doing that, um, I tried to get a security clearance as I worked at um, RCA. And uh, they came around, the uh, government security people came around and interviewed my neighbors. And my next door neighbor uh, said, well, I don't know if I should tell you this, but... That guy, that, that Joe guy, um, he gets postcards from Russia, Czechoslovakia, and Romania, and the Ukraine. I don't know if he's uh, right at all. Unfortunately, the, uh, the government inspector realized I was a ham radio operator, and uh, he passed it off. But uh, indeed, uh, QSL cards can do some strange things for you. Ah, uh, yes, comrade. We know that. So, uh, indeed, and I see the... Um I see in the shortwave listening resources that uh, we put there, um, there's some actual DXing uh, types of guides and, and uh, catalogs there, so you can use some of the materials that we have in our resources area pretty well. And I, I see that we also copy some spy station references down there. And who was it, Pete or Rick? I can't. Um, one of you guys had the uh, had the spy radio. 
Pete, was that you with the spy radio from a long time ago? Yep, that was me. I never, I never had the transmitter though. Do you actually? Uh, you, uh, did you say that you had um, it or a facsimile of it right now still? I have the original radio my dad bought me. Yeah. Does it work? And do you use it? Uh, I have no idea. I haven't run it for decades, so I really don't know. It's one of those radios that needs a 90-volt battery and a one-and-a-half-volt battery, and uh, I just haven't been motivated to, to run it. I look at it occasionally, though. I'm not too sure what you'd hear on these, these different spy station or spy frequencies, probably just a whole bunch of numbers. Well, no, it's, it's a general, it's a shortwave radio. It covers from 2.5 to 10 or 12 megahertz continuously. Oh, that I know, but what I was referring to were specific spy stations and, um, you know, what they were used to be communicating with some kind of numbers and key code, uh, the early days of, of, of key exchange, right, Joe? Oh, yeah. Well, there there are still number stations. Uh, you hear now and again, um, there were thought to be some in Cuba for a while, and you listen there, and there's um, often a woman's voice just uh, uh, spouting out numbers, I believe in five-letter groups by the hour. Uh, goodness knows what they are, if they're encrypted uh, uh, information for a spy or just what. I don't know. No, I bet you somebody's listening to it and trying to figure that out along the way. Interesting. All right. Uh, we kind of covered a wide swath um, at a certain depth, and um, hope you found it interesting here this evening. Um, does anybody have any um, any specific questions about shortwave listening, maybe an aspect or two that we haven't covered? Sure, Rick, go ahead. I had one comment <clears throat> when I uh, when you announced your topic. I did a little uh, internet research and discovered that one of the modern wrinkles of shortwave listening is that you may be tuning around and suddenly discovering that you're listening to Radio Beijing, and you think, "Oh man, that's really far away." Well, it turns out that a lot of the shortwave uh, transmitters now rent out time to anybody who wants to send information using their transmitter, uh, but running uh, programming intended for another country. So your radio Beijing may be 500 miles away. Ah, you're right. And I, I, I've been duped by that same kind of thing. Um, perhaps um, a double check on things, you know, in your handy-dandy wave handbook or online database of frequencies and stations. I've found that they actually mention that. You know, it might be Radio Denmark is broadcasting uh, China you know, Radio Beijing content for the next hour. And when they do self-identify, oftentimes they do mention that. But it's it's surprising when you get it such a, such a strong frequency or, or a strong signal. And um, uh, but nonetheless, it gets the it gets the blood going too. And, and when you started saying that, it reminded me of one more thing that I wanted to mention along the ways here too. I forgot who it was or where I saw it, but kind of in the while doing the research for the topic here over the last uh, couple three weeks, um, somebody had mentioned that yeah, we don't think that. Uh, there are many shortwave stations on the air anymore because of the Internet. They've all gone over to the Internet. And while that might be the case, uh, certainly the air is just chock full of conventional radio transmissions from shortwave stations like uh, we're talking about here. So it's it's my my experience and my understanding that while Internet use is, is uh, increasing, it's certainly not diminishing the number of stations that are actually on the air. Has anybody heard that uh, here in the group? I know there the are BBC many stations that have stopped broadcasting entirely. Why? Yeah, the Why? BBC has uh, has done that for cost reasons. Um, they used to have a lot more on the air than they do now. And I assume other countries may do the same thing. If your target audience is uh, affluent, they can get the Internet. Uh, if they're not affluent or don't have a lot of facilities, shortwave might be a better answer. 
Yeah, that locally, that whole Radio Canada International operation transmitting in out of uh, Sackville, New Brunswick, has uh, ended a while back, and uh, you know they were rebroadcasting uh, China and a number of other countries there with beautifully strong signals, obviously from where they are. But uh, they uh, they've abandoned that entirely, so there's no RCI or uh, relay uh, out of there. So that that was a major one. And of course, radio for Europe is gone. Huh. So there you go. Well, there's a natural ebb and flow that uh, happens in, in all aspects of life, I guess. So, But uh, no doubt that the Internet has influenced how the business model of some of the radio stations that have been on the air in the past. And uh, whether you choose not to compete because of cost or radio listenership or, or advertising, and, or, which is all kind of related to the same thing, um, that's that's a fact of life, I guess. But that certainly is not, influ- not negatively uh, affecting my listening habits and, and enjoyment of the uh, of the hobby all right um uh, joe one why don't you kind of tie the ribbons on it and take us home uh, if you could uh I, had, I enjoyed kind of talking through things here tonight and i learned a couple of things along the way too i'm going to augment the web page with the notes that i took all right yeah it's been a fun fun time reminiscing uh, i wanted to mention very quickly a couple other things um other things other than broadcasting um a lot of governments in the past have used shortwave uh, for various things, primarily the military. Um, I can remember back when, uh, during the Carter administration, there was a, um, a flight from of uh, some officials from Egypt to Washington. And uh, I found the frequency in one of the magazines where the Air Force, Air Force One transmitted. And uh, fortunately, I was able to hear Air Force One and the uh, uh, escort planes, the escort jets, U.S. jets coming across the ocean. And uh, I heard the handoff when they were handed off from uh, the international jets to the the, uh, uh, stateside-based jet planes and Air Force One very clearly identifying themselves. And then I heard them as they landed in uh, D.C. at Andrews. the State Department came on and uh, told them in exactly what diplomatic order they were going to land, uh, all on HF. These days it would probably be encrypted. Um, the other thing you still can hear sometimes, the Coast Guard, particularly in their, um, in their cutters and um, the choppers that go well out to sea, have uh, don't always use satellite radio. They use uh, shortwave. And I have listened to some search and rescue operations on HF. Uh, so that, that's still used. At any rate, other sidelights to uh, what you can hear on HF. Tonight we've uh, we've attempted to give um, uh, an overview of uh, shortwave listening, a little bit of history, some uh, personal experiences, uh, covered the types of radios that uh, you might use, types of antennas, and uh, the sorts of things you'll hear on, on shortwave with, uh, as usual, a whole bunch of references. For those who are interested, you can really dig into and find out more information on any of the, the topics. And uh, we suggest people people do that. If you're interested, uh, drill down and get some more info. And that's about it for now. Oh, thanks, Joe. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us here this evening. Um, a uh, uh, an active group. I appreciate the uh, the uh, the commentary along the way, and it, it's kind of helpful. It helps guide us as far as where some of the interest is uh, for next um, for the next session, the next uh, episode of Chat with the Designers. We're going to take the lead that uh, that you guys happened to follow when when Joe and I were absent a couple of weeks ago or so, and uh, it was turned out to be I think characterized as a general rag chew group that enjoyed the topics. That enjoyed the topics that we're discussing then. So we're going to try that again. And in other words, not have a, a full-blown type of uh, prepared material here. 
And instead of having a soliloquy or a bi-soliloquy, if that's what it is, we can all kind of uh, chat about things. One thing, for example, I'll have a uh, um, an update on some of the projects that we've been working on along the ways. While busy on this side, I'm always making little incremental progress. And what I can do is kind of share some progress and we can talk about things and who else is doing what and even if it's that project or something else. So we can kind of do that next time. So um, thank you all. We'll see you next time on Chat with the Designers. This is N2APB and N2CX saying good night.